We'll open our Bibles, those of you that have Bibles, to Matthew 28. If you didn't bring a Bible, we can provide one for you today. If you need to keep it, you don't have one, then keep it. Uh, So put your hand up nice and high if you need a Bible. Matthew 28 is where we will be today. We started the study of the biography of the king in 2011, January 2011. So just under two years, we've been immersed in the life of the king. Uh, And interesting to end it now just before the election. And some of the things that we, we will read today are very pertinent, I think, to our own understanding of of the world and elections and things like that. So, all right, let's uh, pray, and we'll get into Matthew 28. Father, we, um, those of us here that know you, just freshly acknowledge that our lives are not our own. And Lord, that is not something that we are sad about. It's not something we are disappointed about, Lord. I'm so thankful that my life is not my own, Lord. You've taken me, you've taken us into places where we never would have gone without you. Places and we've done things and we've been part of of your work, Lord, and it's just, it's incredible. And so we're thankful, Lord, that our lives are not our, our own and that we can trust you with our lives, that we can put our faith in you, that we can rest our, our assurance and our confidence in you. And that you'll care for us. And that you'll teach us and that you'll lead us and you'll hold us up and you'll comfort us in all of the things that we receive that cannot be explained to someone who doesn't know. Lord, but we know. And that's why we're here. Because we, um, we appreciate, Lord, what you've done for us. We acknowledge just the awesomeness that the living God dwells within us. I don't understand it, Lord, but I am sure glad for it. So we take this time, Lord, multiply it, um, just take our ears, take our minds, take our attention, uh, draw our focus, not to this pastor, Lord, but to you. And I pray that this would occur all in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Matthew 28. We'll talk about today what is often called the Great Commission. Uh, I call it the Great Go Mission. That's maybe a better explanation for it. We spent a number of days looking at the crucifixion, and last time we met, we watched uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, uh, prepare Jesus' body for burial. Uh, they put him in the, the garden tomb, closed it up. The women watched Mary and then the other Mary we're watching on, and it was, it was so final. And then they went to the tomb, and, and of course, we, the angel was there, and, and the guards shook with fear, and, and the stone was rolled away, and the, the angel told them, look, if you're, I know who you seek. You seek Jesus. He's risen. He, he's not here. He's alive. If that wasn't true, you know, a lot of times we, we say, well, if the resurrection isn't true, then our faith is in vain, and we can all just go home and But if the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened, we wouldn't be here in the first place. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, then you can take chapter 28 and you can tear it out of your Bible. Because everything, it it was over. Chapter 27 was the end. 
And we wouldn't, if there was no resurrection, there would be no church. Would there be? I mean, think about that. Because the disciples we, we talked about, they, they were hiding. They didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. They, they were hiding. They were mourning. They were grieving. They were not expecting the resurrection. So the very fact that 2,000 years after Jesus lived and was crucified and died and, and was buried, the very fact that 2,000 years later we are here doing what we're doing, worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, is proof that something happened. Something changed to make chapter 28 occur. And if it wasn't for chapter 28, we wouldn't be here. Because somehow the gospel went out. And people believed, and it kept going out. And somehow it got to my ears. And it got to your ears. And so here we are. Again, proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Look at verse 8. We'll just look back a little bit, and then we'll pick up in verse 9. So they went out quickly from the tomb after having learned that Jesus was not there with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Uh, That included Peter. Uh, They were behind closed doors. If you know the story of doubting Thomas, Jesus appears to them through the shut door and They're hiding. They're mourning. Verse 9. So as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So they're instructed by the angel to go and to tell the disciples. So they leave, and, and they're running. This is This is beyond belief i mean you can if you try to put yourself into their sandals if you try to put yourself into that time how it must have felt for them to have watched what they watched on friday and then to see it it's it's unthinkable to see an empty tomb it's 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 unfathomable they can't even i mean you can't imagine that it's not what they would ever have expected and so they're running to to tell the disciples and they're on their way and Jesus himself appears to them. Now, he made a lot of appearances in the 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us he appeared to 500 people at one time. And, matter, and, and even more compelling, Paul says to the church in Corinth that he writes to, he says, you can go ask them because some of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, he said, you can go ask the people that saw him after he was alive. At that time, they were still living and could say, yeah, it's true, I saw him. And eyewitness accounts are always, there's a lot of, of weight in the courtroom placed on an eyewitness account. So Jesus, it wasn't his ghost. It wasn't a holographic image, image of him. It wasn't, you know, some spirit. It was Jesus himself met them. And he said, hey, what's up? Rejoice. I mean, literally rejoice is the common Greek greeting. Rejoice. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I mean, what? Now, if I was them, especially if I'm Peter, you know, and, and all the disciples, you know, I'm not thinking that's how he's going to greet me after he's alive from the dead, after being crucified, after I had uh, deserted him. But he says, rejoice. And they, they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. And what a scene, what a picture that must have been to see these women 
uh, just at his feet. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So he gives them a, an instruction, go, go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. Now those of us that were in Israel, Galilee is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it is gorgeous. What a great place to have a meeting with Jesus in Galilee. And, and I think some of us that were in Israel really feel like, man, we did have a meeting with Jesus when we, when we were there in Galilee. And, and, and this is the place where they met commonly. This is where a lot of the disciples were from. And so he says, I want you to tell the disciples to go there. And he says this thing, don't be afraid. So much uh, fear in our lives. And, and no doubt for them, fear certainly was an issue because remember the disciples are hiding for fear of the jews they think they're next their crosses are being lined up next so you know they're followers of this guy who's just been condemned as a criminal so they're they're in hiding and maybe they were afraid to to bring this message to them afraid that they wouldn't be heard afraid that the guys wouldn't believe them and and if fear rules your life, you'll never do what you're told. You'll never do what God wants for you. And so I can't tell you how many people I talk to and their whole lives are driven by fear. Fear that something that happened in the past is going to happen again. All kinds of fears that we struggle with. And fear does. Fear of rejection, fear of, you you insert whatever you want in that line. And so many times in the Bible, God is telling people, including myself, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. If I've told you to do it, then do it. Don't fear. So he says to them, don't be afraid. Now this is interesting, this next part. Verse 11 says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Now you remember that guard we talked about last week? These Roman guards that guarded a six-foot square piece of land in front of the tomb, and the tomb was sealed, and nobody was getting in, nobody was getting out. They made it as secure as they could, and these guys, it was their uh, job to guard the tomb. They couldn't fall asleep. If they fell asleep, they'd be put to death. All of them would be put to death, so sleeping, not an option. These were um, high-ranking, high-level, highly skilled soldiers. But then the angel showed up, one angel, and these guys shook like, like for fear and, and were like dead men. They, they couldn't do anything. And so now they go and they have to tell the priests, because that's who commissioned them to do this, that's who they were sort of working for, what happened. Uh, we got some, you, can you imagine that conversation? Uh, we got some bad news. <laughs> what do you mean bad news? What, 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 what could be bad news? You know, you guys guard the tomb, he's dead, you know, I'm sure the disciples didn't get in, what's the problem? So he tells them, this angel showed up, and man, we were, we couldn't move, we were totally unable to do anything to stop this and and the, the body's gone what did you say can you say that a little bit louder uh, the body's gone um excuse me one more time the body of jesus is gone oh this is trouble so they tell everything that happened so when they assembled to, they got to have a meeting now they got to have a committee meeting for this one this is big When they assembled with the elders and consulted together, verse 12 says, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. This is hush money. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, Governor Pontius Pilate, 
We will appease him and make you secure. Look, we got that pawn under control. Don't worry about him. Because these guys should have all died. If, if, these guys should all be put to death. But we'll take care of Pilate. So they took the money, did as they were instructed. They start a rumor. John uh, MacArthur calls this the lie that proves the resurrection. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So they started a lie, and the lie took off. And it was commonly believed that, what they, that the lie they concocted behind closed doors and were paid to tell became common belief. And still to this day, people say this. The disciples stole the body. Now first, do you know how ridiculous of a lie this is? You've seen, that. You've seen and you've, you've talked with people that chronically lie or that, that try to cover things up. And, you know, sometimes kids will do that. They'll tell a lie. You know, and you just, That is so silly. You just look at them and go, well, you've got to do better than that. You know, I mean, that is, that is ridiculous, you know. <laughs> They've got chocolate on their lip, you know. I didn't eat it, you know, it wasn't me. So here, we're, we're expected to believe the disciples stole the body. Now, here's the interesting thing. To do that, all of the, the soldiers would have had to fall asleep at the same time. Okay, which is pretty ridiculous. It could have been anywhere from, you know, 12 to 16 soldiers. So they all, you know... Had, were, were asleep at the same time, even at the expense of the potentially costing them their lives. The second thing is that now the disciples would have tiptoed into their camp, quietly, gently rolled away that multi-ton stone that, that was in front of the, the door there and grabbed the body and tiptoed back out of the camp with the body of Jesus to go hide it. And then... We would have to believe that a bunch of sleeping men knew who it was that came to the camp while they were asleep and stole the body, which is even more miraculous. So, again, the, the lie that proves the resurrection is that the disciples stole the body. It is so ridiculous. But here's what I know, and here's what you know, that there are a lot of people that would rather believe a lie than the truth. There are a lot of people that would swallow a camel and strain out a gnat. You see, I, I was a biology major. You guys know that. And you know I have a passion for talking with people about the origins of life. And to believe that life came from nothing is to believe a very, very significant miracle. A greater miracle than the resurrection. Because at least Jesus was alive. And then he died. And then life was given back to him. He was alive again. When you study the origins of life, we're expected to believe a greater miracle than that happened, that's something we've never seen happen. You can, line up in orga- or you can line up organic material, pieces and parts like Legos. You can put them together. But you can't get life. I mean, think about that. Life. What gives life? Only life can give life. We never, ever, ever, anywhere else in our observation, in our experience, see Life come from something that's not living, ever. And when, if you were to get that, it would be a miracle. It'd be a greater miracle than resurrection. So those that choose to believe that in the beginning, life came from non-life, believe a great, they, they, they swallow a camel. But then when we'd say, well, God who gives life, God who is alive, who then can give, breathe life into Adam. He can breathe life into what is dead. I can't believe that. I can't believe Jesus, who was 
alive and then died, could be given life again. I can't, I can't believe that. See, that's like straining out in that. Are you following me? You seeing what I'm saying? But because sometimes the lie is more convenient, is, is more suited to my uh, lifestyle or to my beliefs. So uh, just like these folks here, it is sometimes more convenient to believe a lie. And the interesting thing about that is all of the disciples, with the exception of, of the apostle John, who was exiled, and they tried to, to burn him, and they put him in a pot of boiling oil, and he didn't die. This is uh, church history. Fox's Book of Martyrs re- records these things. He didn't die. Uh, then they exiled him to an island called Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, and that's another story. But the other disciples all died pretty difficult deaths. I mean, being tossed off the, the pinnacle of the temple down and, and having your body smash on the rocks below, being beaten, being crucified upside down as the apostle Peter was. These guys all died pretty terrible deaths. Now, if they had the body of Jesus, or they knew that what they believed was not true, I mean, the minute they're starting to come at me with the clubs, I'm going, okay, here it is. You got here. Okay, it's a lie. I admit it. Um, okay, it's done. Okay, here you go. If they had the body, they certainly would have produced it to avoid those horrifying uh, deaths that they had to uh, face. So, again, you know, the lie that proves the resurrection. I love that. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples, remember Judas is not among them, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> some waver, some were going, I'm still not sure. You know, what? <laughs> There's Jesus. And they're going, ah. Oh. And I think, you know, to be fair, I think they're still going, it's just too good to be true. I mean, it can't. You ever have something happen and you, you just have to pinch yourself because you believe that it, it can't be true? Like somehow this can't be true? And so they're still, they're, some of them, they're worshiping him. And others are, are still wavering. Going, I'm not sure if, 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 that's, if that can be. And he's right there. And, and every Sunday morning right here, you know, there are some that are worshiping. And some, and some are going, I'm, I'm still not sure. Still not sure. I can't, can't get there yet. Verse 18, and Jesus came, so that they're waiting for him, Jesus came, and he spoke to them. So the resurrected Jesus can speak, he can eat, he's got a body, he's got a mouth. And he says, the great commission, the great go mission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, the Greek word is exousia, means power, means authority. It means to have a will that others will obey, that others must obey. And what I love about this is the, uh, the expanse of his authority, of, of his jurisdiction. You know, because you only have authority, you know, like I have authority in my home, but I don't have authority in your home. If I come in and start bossing your kids around, telling them what to do, you're going to kick me out. Get out of here. You don't have authority here. You know, police have authority in certain jurisdictions. And so authority is connected to a, a jurisdiction, an area where that authority is recognized. And, you know, we're, we're doing the presidential election and they're looking for authority over the United States of America. But look at Jesus' jurisdiction. All authority has been given to him where? Heaven and earth. I'm thinking that about covers it. <laughs> I'm thinking that kind of, 
is pretty all-encompassing. So I don't care where you live or where you are, where you travel to, you are under the authority of Jesus. But you have to, that's true, whether you like it or not, all authority has been, God didn't ask you if Jesus could have authority in heaven and earth. He has it. The question is, will you be in cooperation or rebellion against that authority? Will you be, are you currently today in cooperation with the authority of Jesus Christ in the world? Or are you currently in rebellion against that authority? Because he has it, and there's nothing you can do about that. We learned that in the book of Daniel. God reigns in the affairs of men. And we, we read, and I read to many of you, Benjamin Franklin's uh, speech to the Constitutional Convention as they were writing the Constitution, and to hear him say, look, we have tried to reason this thing out, and we can't do it. We need help from God. Because I know that God rules in the affairs of men, the providence of God ruling there, even as they wrote our Constitution. And, and Benjamin Franklin petitioning for that. God's authority over, over this country. If he doesn't have authority in the church, which is what scares me, that's what really scares me these days, is that I wonder if Jesus still has authority in the church, where it's his word and not a catchy sermon or a few illustrations and, a t- and the pastor talking about where, when he went fishing last time with his family. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, to uh, be mean or, or spiteful, but I'm just saying that, look, we can talk about, oh, this country, this country. I'm worried about the church first because judgment begins at the household of God. So the question is, as we look around, we are the church. Does Jesus Christ's authority extend to this group, to my household, to my family? It's just a, I'm just asking questions. That's my job. Ask questions. You've got to deal with God on it. So all authority has been given to me, Jesus says. If he had never risen from the dead... Wouldn't be reason it. Wouldn't be reading this at all. There wouldn't be people grabbing his feet and worshiping him. He wouldn't have all authority. What, if there's anyone I want to have authority, it's a guy that rose from the dead. Because like, he conquered death. So I think what else, you know, what can't he do if he conquered death? I, I think that's a pretty good guy to have authority. So what's he going to say? I have all authority. Go and destroy. Go. Bring me Peter. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> where are my disciples? He says, go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say, go get my disciples. They're right there, you know. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we are going to finish strong in the Gospel of of Matthew. And I encourage you, read the last chapter in Luke. Read the last chapter in John. And you'll see that Matthew just really, he cuts to the chase here. He doesn't give a whole lot of, he doesn't talk about the disciples on the uh, road to Emmaus. He doesn't talk about Peter being recommissioned. Um, He doesn't share the story about Thomas and Uh, doubting Thomas and all of these things. So it's a very slimmed down version. He gives us this bit about the lie that he has inside information about that nobody else gives us with the the soldiers. But but, uh, they share as a group this this great commission, this authority, and then this commission to go 
and make disciples. And the, the, the primary verb in this is to make disciples. So just underline that in your Bible. Just make a circle that and know that Jesus is command. Now, this isn't Jesus' suggestion. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want you guys to pray about this. I want you to get together as a group. I want you to form a committee to discuss whether or not we should do this. He says, do it. Make disciples. He doesn't say, make entertainment programs. He doesn't say, you know, make converts. He says, make disciples, make followers. And what does it take to be a disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what a disciple is. And he says, go and teach people that. I have risen from the dead. You can trust me. It's okay. You can follow me. You can follow me to the grave and I'll get you out. And he says, make disciples and go is connected to that. Go is, is part of how can people become disciples. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, right? He says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's still true, isn't it? Because we've got a room full of whosoever's. I called on the name of the Lord one day, and, and he didn't say, well, let me think about it, Steve. You know, I've been watching you for a few years, and I'm not real impressed. So why don't you call again next year, and we'll see how you're doing. He says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I was a whosoever. And you were whosoever. And I called and God saved me. He rescued me. He set me free from the stupidity of my life. And... But look, Paul goes on to say, how will people hear if no one preaches to them? And how will people preach to them if they're not sent? They have to go. And then he says, because faith comes by hearing and, by, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So here's the question for this church. You know, I find that people that have met, like, I don't, I don't look at this and, and picture the disciples. You know, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. You, you guys know that, right? The book of Acts, he, he says, you know, go wait for me in Jerusalem. You'll be filled with the spirit. You'll be baptized and, and then you'll go. So it's like, you're going to go, but first you got to wait and then you'll have power to be witnesses and then you'll go. And, and then you couldn't stop them, right? And you couldn't, once they were filled with the Spirit, you couldn't stop these guys from going. And I feel that, I feel like that about my life. Do you feel like that about your life? I mean, when people have met and had, had a true experience with the living God in their lives, look, some of you guys, I enjoy hanging out with you, and, and you'll tell me you've seen a movie, and you'll come up to me and say, Steve, oh, I saw this movie. You've got to see it. It's great. You know, and you'll tell 20 of your friends it's on your Facebook. You've got to see this movie. Or, or you've read a book. I've had a, some people tell me to, to read this book. And it, it's begging, oh, it's such a good book. Man, you've got to read it. And you're like a book evangelist. And you're a movie evangelist. And you know, you're, you're eating at a restaurant. And you'll tell everybody about it. So when you have a great experience, when you have something that's meaningful to you, you People don't have to beg you. The movie companies don't have to beg you. You're the best advertising for it. They don't have to call you and say, can you please tell people about our movie? No problem. I loved it. I'm telling people. And if you're, if you're not going, if you're not sharing it with every creature, the creatures that are at the gym, the creatures are, that are pretty creepy on the, the fields or in the workplaces, then I have to ask, 
has your relationship or has your experience with Jesus been meaningful to you at all? I'm just being, I'm trying to be honest here because I know how people are. I see how people share and get excited about things that are meaningful. And so if you're hesitant to share, I just have to ask, maybe you've not experienced the living God. Maybe you've not have any, had, had anything of substance for yourself to share because Christ, all, all it is to you is about showing up on a Sunday, putting a check in the box. Thank you for that, by the way. We'll take it and, you know, um, we'll use that. But, you know, but, you know, that's all it is to you. That's all it is. It's, it, you know, and I've got my work life, I've got my family life, and I've got my church life. And they don't ever talk to each other. None of those three things, they don't match. They don't, they don't work together. Like, you know, church is church, but, you know, business is business, right? And I got to scratch my head and I say, you know, where have you been? And so I don't, do you see this as a burden? Is this burdensome to us to go and tell people about Jesus? Aren't you thankful someone told you? And where would your life be if no one ever told you? And encouraged you not just to, to get baptized. I mean, you know the joke, the, the pastors sitting around talking about how they have in their churches, they have issues with, with bats up in the, you know, they have the bell towers. They used to have the bell towers, and these three pastors were sitting around talking about the bats in the bell towers. And the, the one pastor says, man, we tried to fumigate up there, and man, it just didn't work. We can't get rid of these bats that live up there. And the other guy said, oh, yeah, we called in an exterminator, and the exterminator came three times and tried different things, and man, it was just useless. We couldn't get rid of them. And the third pastor said, well, we figured it out. We figured out how to get rid of them. We haven't had a bat problem in a long time. How did you do it? Well, we got the deacons together on, on a Sunday afternoon, and we all went up into the bell tower. We baptized all the bats, and we haven't seen them since. <laughs> hey, Kay liked it. <laughs> Miracles do happen. And that, you know, that's hard to see as a pastor, you know, because we take pictures every baptism, and we take pictures of people, and we can look back and go, wow, they got baptized, and man, haven't seen them in a while. So Jesus doesn't say go and baptize people. Because a lot of churches are into the numbers of how many they baptize. And you can read on, we baptize this many, we baptize this many. How many are disciples? I'm not about, you know, making baptisms. We're about making disciples. And that means that you will be baptized. That's what he says. Part of being a disciple is being baptized. It's making a break from the old life and identifying yourself with the new life. We, Christians don't corner the market on baptism. Um, Hindus baptize Jews baptize, even Brazilian capoeira, martial arts, they have a baptism ceremony that they celebrate. So it's not that, you know, that baptism is unique in and of itself as a ritual, but we are baptized, what does it say? In the name of the Father. The name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three, one name, one person. And that's our baptism is to identify my, I've died to me, I'm now identifying myself with the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And then look at verse 20. So being baptized, it doesn't end there. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Just in case we've missed that, if I could have everyone's attention, obey what Jesus commands you. There, now it's done. We've done it. I want to teach you to obey what Jesus says. Because he's taught the disciples that, right? He's taught them that already, the Sermon on the Mount. He's taught, what if Jesus' authority extended to 
all the earth, which it does, and what if everybody in the earth put themselves under his authority and obeyed all they taught? Would the earth be a better place or not? I mean, how much better could it be than love your neighbor as yourself if we all did that one thing? 99.9% of the problems in our world would go away. Maybe 100%. I'm just, I'm not, I'm going to hold on to that just in case I'm wrong. But if I'm not thinking of something here, uh, if we all obeyed the golden rule. So if, if the authority, if, if we all obeyed, just did what Jesus said to do, man, uh, that would be awesome. But so many of us choose to be foolish builders, right? Jesus taught them, there's a wise builder and a foolish builder, and the wise builder builds on a foundation. The wise builder is the one who hears and does it. And the foolish builder is the one who hears and, and doesn't, doesn't do it. And then when the storms come, you guys know the story. The house falls apart. It's crushed. Well, that's a lot to do, Jesus. How are we ever going to do that? Well, the final verse says, hey, guys, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And You might feel alone in it. You might feel like you're the only one saying it. You're the only one excited about it, about the gospel. But Jesus says, no, whenever you're sharing your faith with someone else, whenever you're telling people about Jesus, because there's a lot of people in our county you know, we take it for granted that people know, and they don't. They don't know the gospel. They don't know. So don't take it for granted. And there's a lot of people that still live in darkness, aren't there? You know them. You live with them sometimes. You, 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 you work with them. You, you share with them at, at, over meals or whatever, wherever you come across people. And I love to go and find places where Christians aren't. That, you, you need to be in places where there aren't Christians so that you have someone to share with, someone to tell. And I'm always looking for opportunities to be involved in things that are not, you know, because we have been a, a come church, haven't we? Not we specifically, but the church. That's why I like it when it's cold in here like it is today. Because then you guys aren't tempted to say, well, we're just going to hang around here. It's so comfy here. The lighting is nice and the temperature's always right. And we got cake and coffee and we got all those good things. And, and that's all fine and fellowship is important. But listen, church, you need to get out of these seats and go tell people what makes you tick, what gets you by, and work that out. Because church isn't about just the coming together, is it? And we've made it that. We've made beautiful churches, beautiful buildings, and, and, and all programs, and we get together, and we have kickboxing for Christ, and we got all the, you know, Tupperware parties, and the whole thing. And, and we can just, oh, it's just so nice, and we look forward to Sunday, we just get together, and that's our thing. And, but, you know, the rest of the time, folks, God is Jesus. This is not the suggestion. This is a commandment, and he is commanding you today. If you didn't know it, you're going to know it now. He is commanding you personally, me personally. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. And he's telling us, look, if what I've done in your life is valuable to you, tell someone. And if it's not, we've got other problems. Amen? Amen. And that's how he ends. Amen. So if I could have the folks that are going to serve communion come up. Um, and it's nice sometimes when, when instead of having to go, people come to us. That makes our job easy. 
So I don't know how, what, how you got here today, or you know, by car probably, but uh, I don't know why uh, you're here. Sometimes I wonder why I'm here, or why people come to listen. But you're here. And we're going to share communion in a few minutes. And um, I, here's what I'd like to do. The folks that are serving communion, I want you to go ahead and begin serving that right away. And just hold on to it as the elements come around. Um, this is what we do as Christians if you're visiting or you're not familiar with the Lord's Supper. This is the way we, we remember. Uh, this is what Christ left us to remember him by. There's not a, memor- a memorial uh, somewhere where we go visit. And this was Jesus' memorial. The meal that we share this representative meal is how we remember Christ and, and what he asked us to do. So if you, uh, if you know Christ, if you, you've met the living God, you've been saved, then, then you know, grab those elements, give thanks, hold on to them. We'll all partake together. If you're not sure about this, it's not something you're familiar with, um, you're not comfortable participating, then please don't feel like you have to. You are free to let those elements pass. Nobody's going to say anything uh, bad about you. We understand because, you know, this may be your first time here. And so we know this is different and it may take some thought and, and some understanding. So please don't, don't be embarrassed to just let it pass by. Okay, is that, is that clear to everybody? So as they come around, just hold on to them. We're going to spend a little time worshiping the Lord uh, in song before we partake. Father, we just pray that you would give us great boldness. Lord, just today, pour out your spirit on us for a new measure of boldness. Overcome the inertia in our lives to stay put. And Father, give us boldness to be witnesses um, from Palmyra to Charlottesville to the edges of Virginia to the edges of the world. Lord, we pray that you would continue uh, raising up people who love you, who are disciples, and calling them out, Lord, to wherever you would have us to go. Lord, we just present you our lives, and we're your servants, and do with us, Lord, as you will. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen.